This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Thursday. We are talking about ROP, and today we're going to talk about some of the treatment options for ROP. This is a big topic, treatment. Oh, yeah. Controversial. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's That ROP is just full of controversies, uh-huh. isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So we'll start with a question. Um, this question comes from um, the Brodsky and Martin Neonatology Review Question Book. Uh, neurology, question 24. An infant was born at 29 weeks gestation following unstoppable preterm labor. His birth weight was 1,600 grams. His initial course consists of respiratory failure with need for endotracheal intubation and exogenous surfactant. He was treated for PDA, weaned to CPAP, and established on enteral feedings. The infant had an evaluation by an ophthalmologist at the appropriate time. The ophthalmologist report describes bilateral threshold retinopathy of prematurity. And we learned about threshold yesterday. Mm -hmm. The most appropriate treatment for this infant with bilateral threshold retinopathy of prematurity is A, follow-up ophthalmological exam in one week, B, follow-up ophthalmological exam in two to three days, C, laser therapy within two to three days, D, scleral buckle procedure immediately, or E, timing a follow-up exam depends upon the severity of the threshold ROP. So based on what we've discussed and based on what we're going to discuss today, Mm -hmm. um, my guess would be choice C, laser therapy within two to three days. Yeah, that is exactly right. And you will tell us why. Yeah. (laughs) So the first treatment, right, that that became available for for ROP was cryotherapy. um, And that was for threshold or severe ROP. Uh, cryotherapy basically is retinal ablation through peripherally applied freezing temperatures. This causes scarring of the avascular retina that prevents further inflammation and detachment. There was this famous series of paper called the cryo-ROP trials, I guess, because there was a bunch of results that were published among uh, across several papers, several manuscripts. The cryo-ROP stands for cryotherapy for retinopathy of for retinopathy of prematurity, multi-centered <clears throat> randomized study, which showed that in 291 preterm infants with threshold ROP, treatment with cryotherapy decreased unfavorable ocular results from 47 to 25% after one year. Um, so that became uh, the main treatment for years and years and years until... Um, the late 90s and early 2000, when the um, early treatment of premature retinopathy of prematurity trial, the ETROP trial, ETROP, ETROP probably is better, ETROP okay. trial came out. And this was a, a clinical study uh, that was, like I said, published in 2003, and it established the current treatment guidelines for type 1 ROP. The ETROP study determined that laser photocoagulation in type 1 retinopathy of prematurity has a high visual and, and anatomical success rate. <clears throat> and so really, this starts the 
change towards laser photocoagulation. And there's other studies that have been published around that time that point again to the fact that treatment for ROP with laser photocoagulation had equal or even better results than cryotherapy and also less pain and less inflammation. There are also less systemic effects in the group treated with laser. A 10-year follow-up revealed that treatment with laser photocoagulation was associated with better visual acuity and fewer refraction errors such as myopia, astigmatism, and hyperopia compared with cryotherapy. Initially, laser therapy for threshold ROP used argon laser. Later, it was replaced with a diode laser that uh, was at a 532 nanometer wavelength. Laser therapy has, however, some complications such as vitreous hemorrhage, hyphema, cataract, increase or decrease in ocular pressure, and increase in refractory errors, among other side effects. And so it's due to these results um, that laser photocoagulation, despite its side effect, was considered a more effective and safe treatment and became the standard therapy over cryotherapy for ROP. Now, the worst side effect of laser treatment is the destruction, as we've said, of the peripheral avascular retina, which is really not something that changed much from cryotherapy. And so it's producing a limited field of vision in the child. So to get you an idea, right? So you have this area. So in order to have full central and peripheral vision, the blood vessels have to get to the periphery of the globe of the eye. I mean, Daphna explained that pretty well on Tuesday, that we have to think of the eyeball as a, as a globe. Now, if you see any ROP and you have any ridges or anything that... Uh, constitutes ROP and you use laser or cryotherapy, you're literally just stopping the growth at that area. So that peripheral vision at that point is completely lost. So in some cases, a retinal fold can affect the macula, severely deteriorating visual acuity. Acuity, usually it's a prolonged procedure, uh, as you probably have all experienced for babies who have to undergo laser therapy in your unit. It takes more than two hours. Infants usually require anesthesia. And it's all these different limitations that really prompted people to look for other treatment modalities. And this leads us to the famous BEAT ROP trial that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. And that's the one we're, that's the one we're going to focus on because it's obviously the most current topic of discussion. So in the pathogenesis of ROP, phase two or the vasoproliferative phase is characterized by an increase in circulating retinal vascular endothelial growth factor levels that stimulate the proliferation of new blood vessels, which is one of the characteristics of severe retinopathy. Now, for this reason, the idea of using anti-VEGF drugs to block or inhibit the production of this mediator, preventing then the formation of new blood vessels and preventing the, the, the quote-unquote neo-revascularization of ROP made sense. The first reports of anti-VEGF used came from, uh, came in 2007-2008, and um, they showed very promising results. And so in a small patient population from Mexico uh, by Dr. Kiros Mercado on 13 patients with ROP, which involved 18 eyes, bevacizumab, which is what we know as Avastin, led to the regression of ROP in 17 out of 18 eyes. And it's this encouraging results that really prompted people to say, we really got to study this. Like this is, this is, Amazing, amazing results. So um, the BEAT ROP trial uh, came out um, in the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, actually, I don't recall. Shoot, I don't. I should have this. Um, I should have this in my uh, in my list of things. But I forgot. <coughs> I forgot what year it, it was published. Um, let me see. Um, 
there you go. So the paper came out in 2011 in the New England Journal of Medicine. It's called Efficacy of Intravitreal Bevacizumab for Stage 3 Plus Retinopathy of Prematurity. First author is Helen Mintz-Hittner. Um, and so we've talked about um, the premise of the beta-ROP trial. The question that they were asking was, is Avastin better than laser therapy in patients with Stage 3 Plus ROP who have Zone 1 and 2 posterior disease? I will refer you to Tuesday's episode for pathophysiology of ROP, we can't we can't waste our precious time uh, going over that again. But yeah, the this is was a very valid question based on the pathophysiology of ROP. Early report of Avastin, that study that we quoted from Mexico, showed that it was very effective. So they conducted a prospective, randomized, stratified, controlled, multi-centered clinical trial, and they randomized babies, not eyes, and that's something that's very peculiar. Mm-hmm when you read some of these papers on ROP is that they randomize the eye. So like a baby will have one eye randomized to a treatment and the other one to the control. And it's, and it's like, why would you do that? Because mm-hmm. if one of them is the right intervention, then you've messed up one of the eyes. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this, this paper decided that I, I think it's the, the right thing to do. Randomize the babies, not the eyes. They included babies uh, with a birth weight of 1,500 grams or less and the gestational age of 30 weeks or less. Uh, beginning at four, They were enrolled beginning at four weeks chronological age or 31 weeks postmenstrual age, whichever was later. Uh, infants with stage three plus retinopathy of prematurity in zone one or zone two, um, in zone one or zone two posterior in each eye were eligible, as we've mentioned in the question, they excluded babies with stage four or five retinopathy of prematurity in either eye. The intervention was laser therapy, which was the control, compared with intravitreal bevacizumab monotherapy given at 0.625 milligram in a 0.025 ml of solution. So the primary outcome was treatment failure, uh, the recurrence of neovascularization in one or both eyes arising from the retinal vessel and requiring retreatment by 54 weeks postmenstrual age. The primary ocular outcome, recurrence of retinopathy of prematurity, is um, a variable with three possible values. So <clears throat> how did they define these recurrence? Either zero, meaning there's no recurrence in either eye. One, there was recurrence in one of the eyes. And two, recurrence in both eyes. So they enrolled a total of 150 patients, uh, 67 infants with zone 1 disease and 83 infants with zone 2 posterior disease. A total of 75 infants were randomly assigned to undergo intravitreal Avastin monotherapy and 75 to conventional laser therapy. The results, the primary outcome, the rate of recurrence for zone 1 and posterior zone 2 combined was significantly higher with conventional laser therapy than with IV Avastin. 26% versus 6%. The absolute difference between the two groups in the risk of recurrence was 20 percentage points. The rate of recurrence with now separating the two with zone one disease alone was significantly higher with conventional laser than with IV Avastin, and that was 42% versus 6%. Looking at the other type, recurrence of uh, rate of zone two posterior disease that there was no difference between laser therapy, 12% and, IV, and intravitreal Avastin, 12% versus 5%. The p-value was 0.27. Looking at 
revascularization, conventional laser therapy resulted in permanent destruction of the vessels in the peripheral retina, whereas IV Avastin allowed, and listen to this, for continued vessel growth into mm-hmm. the peripheral retina. So exciting. Uh, yeah, right? So n- no longer do you have to sacrifice areas of a baby's vision because of laser therapy. Avastin gives the promise of continued vascular development. Um, when it came to mortality, the study was not powered to assess whether uh, that was possible. That was a, an issue because they would have needed about three thousand patients. So the study takeaways were that IV uh, uh, intravitreal avastin monotherapy, as compared with conventional laser therapy in infants with stage three plus retinopathy of prematurity, showed a significant benefit for zone one, but not zone two disease development of peripheral retinal vessel continued after treatment with intravitreal avastin, but conventional laser therapy led to permanent destruction of the peripheral retina. Uh, And they mentioned that the trial was too small to assess safety. So super, super promising. And remember, as Daphna explained, like zone one is really where your sharp vision is is Mm -hmm. concentrated. So the opportunity to use avastin when there's any disease in zone one is exciting. And the fact that it's not going to compromise peripheral vision meaning zone two, zone three, is even even better. Um, so that's that creates a whirlwind in the in the management of ROP. And so if you were like me in training at that time, everybody was talking about this. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens is that in 2019, there's a paper published in pediatrics that's a retrospective analysis of data collected by the neonatal research network. So good data. And these are babies who received either laser or surgery, and uh, Avastin for ROP. And they looked at the primary outcome of death or severe neurodevelopmental impairment at 18 to 26 months corrected age. And that paper created a ruckus. Mm -hmm. The cohort was 405 infants. The median gestational age was 24.6 weeks. Uh, 181 infants received Avastin. 224 underwent surgery. Um, the infants with Avastin had a lower median birth weight and longer duration on conventional ventilation and supplemental oxygen. That I'm mentioning for a reason. It will it will play a role. Death or severe neurodevelopmental impairment and severe neurodevelopmental impairment did not differ between groups. However, the odds of death, a cognitive score of less than 85, and a gross motor functional classification scale level of two or more were significantly higher with Avastin therapy. And so now people are like, oh, oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What are we supposed to do? Um, And I I mean, I guess this is the theme of our, of our weeks of, of review is that there's always engagement for short-term outcomes. And then we have to actually cross our fingers and hope for that Mm -hmm. the long-term outcomes pan out. So the big issue with this paper is that, like we said, there's a lot of baseline differences that could confound the results mm-hmm. and the likelihood that treatment options varied by center and varied over time. So they found a statistical association between Avastin for severe ROP with death and adverse adverse cognitive outcomes um, after they adjusted for all these multiple covariates. Um, but there's but there's a lot of issues. Yeah. And so the conclusion was kind of, I'm sorry, it was funny. Like they said, although not conclusive, these results do underscore the need for rigorous appraisal of the risk and benefit of bevacizumab, Avastin, in a large randomized trial with neurodevelopmental follow-up. Until then, 
cautious use of this therapy may be prudent. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how can you say that? Like, like you're, you're, it's like earth shattering mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> nonchalant. So, yeah. It's like, it's not really conclusive, but just, just be careful. It's like, what? <laughs> so anyway, as you can imagine, uh, the American Academy of Ophthalmology was very taken aback by this report. So in 2020, they published a meta-analysis titled uh, Neurodevelopmental Outcome After Bevacizumab Treatment for Retinopathy of Prematurity, a meta-analysis. And I think this is the highest level of evidence we have right now. Uh, and like we said, it's, it's, it's ongoing. If you're interested in this topic, there's tons of questions that are left for you to answer. So they looked at studies that were comparative studies that recruited ROP patients that included uh, intravitreal bevacizumab in at least one treatment, treatment arm that included a control group that did not receive anti-VEGF therapy and reported at least one outcome of interest, including severe neurodevelopmental impairment uh, using the Bailey's the Bailey uh, third edition at a corrected age of uh, after one year of age and incidence of cerebral palsy. They had eight studies, six of them including laser-controlled ROP infants and two including ROP infants not requiring treatment. The weighted odds ratio for severe neurodevelopmental impairment in the uh, Avastin group was 1.39. The weighted mean difference, negative 1.92. negative 1.32 and negative 3.66 for cognitive language and motor in the Bailey 3 respectively. The odds ratio for CP was 1.2. No differences were observed between the the preset subgroup comprising laser controlled and infants uh, not requiring treatment. Um, And the current quality of the evidence um, was rated as low for severe neurodevelopmental impairment and very low for CP. So the American Academy of Ophthalmologists concluded that based on this meta-analysis, the risk of severe NDI was not increased in ROP uh, after intravitreal uh, Avastin treatment. Bailey 3 scores were similar in the Avastin and controls, except for minor differences in motor performance. And they, they concluded these findings suggest that the risk of additional severe neurodevelopmental impairment after Avastin treatment is low. Mm-hmm. But they still recommend randomized trials are warranted mm-hmm. to provide higher quality of evidence. But they did publish on their website in September of last year, like we're telling you, this is like fresh, fresh mm-hmm. stuff, uh, an article by Brenda bon- Bonsack, uh, an MD-PhD, um, Dr. Brenda Bonsack. Um, by the way, I call people by their first name, and that's how I introduce myself. Like you'll see that I don't mm-hmm. introduce myself as like Dr. Korsha. I usually say, "Hey, I'm Ben." So I tend to like calling people. I'm not trying to be. Yeah, and, I, and our and the our our patients call you Dr. Ben, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. So they published an article called Bevacizumab does not elevate the risk of neurodevelopmental impairment in cases of ROP. So they really took a stance that maybe that 2019 paper was not solid evidence and and should not be taken at face value. So this is the big debate. Uh, Should we continue using Avastin for at least zone one? Should we move away from it? Um, Yeah, the discussion, we don't have an answer. There's no answer, um, but the discussion is there. Um, There's other uh, things that we'll put on the website. There's a very nice, there's a bunch of very good Neo Reviews article. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's other treatment that have been looked at. Systemic propranolol, propranolol is one of them. IV, uh, IGF-1 is one of them. Dietary omega-6 long chain polyunsaturated fatty acid. But a lot of the efficacy and complications are not really well known. And so they're, they're, they're not 
they didn't make it into this this format of, of an episode, but you, you can look into it if you're interested in that. Did you know that in 2019, I presented a poster at the APOS, the American Academy for Pediatric Ophthalmology, entitled, Does the Newer Anti-VEGF Therapy Impact Neurodevelopmental Outcomes More Than Conventional Laser Therapy in Infants Treated for ROP? On Should we put you on the spot and ask me what, what was the conclusion of that episode? I have my poster pulled up right here <laughs> so I could be sure that I didn't... Um, didn't have any confusion, but we, we found we, what our groups, we didn't really, we didn't have anybody with just laser. We had controls. Uh, we had Avastin only, and we had laser and Avastin. And what we really found was that it was the babies with laser and Avastin that um, had, had differences in neurodevelopmental outcomes, but not the babies with Avastin only. You want to know the truth? So let's, let's have some real talk here. Fine. <laughs> I'm wondering if I would not be more okay with some neurodevelopmental impairment over blindness, right? Yeah, it's because a, blindness is 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 um, has a lot of impact, right? Yeah. Has a lot of impact on on neurodevelopmental outcomes. So it's it's yeah. it's a tough coin to flip, right? Yeah, and and looking at like some of these reports, like the American Academy of Ophthalmology paper, when they say like, oh, like some motor outcomes are a bit worse. It's like, am I taking that over like significant mm -hmm. impact over my kid's peripheral vision? Like, thankfully, thank God I'm not in this position. But like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what I would it's be. Tough. It's tough. And I realized as well that I've never talked to families about like, mm -hmm. um, hey, this is the treatment options. And I'm assuming our ophthalmologists are doing that. but. Like, this is a huge deal that's not being talked about by any neonatologist. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you where I trained. Our ophthalmologist was so good at reviewing the informed consent. Um, it was it was tough for the parents to make a, make a decision. Oh, um, can't, I can't imagine. They laid, they laid out this exact controversy. So crazy. Anyways, Dr. Agarwal at, at the University of Florida, I, maybe it's time for us to finally publish our cohort. <laughs> I feel like you have you have a manuscript in process for every topic related to neurodevelopment. <laughs> <laughs> Too many started, not enough, not enough completed. <laughs> but alas, yeah. we've, we've over we've gone over time as usual. Tomorrow we're doing questions. This is gonna be fun. Mm -hmm. I used to dread those weeks of questions. Like it was like, oh, this is gonna be grueling. And now I look forward to the to the Friday for sure. questions. It's for it's sure. Fun. All right, everybody. All right, Daphna. See you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at nicupodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.